Why, hello there. Welcome back at it to uh, the Life in Red podcast. Uh, housekeeping items, as it is uh, November, which is Movember. Um, if you check out uh, my link, tree link on any of the social profiles at Life in Red podcast or our big red Ryan 01, um, you can check out my Movember page, which I'm raising money for the Royal Mental Health Center in Ottawa and growing out my mustache. So if you're interested in supporting that cause, you can check out my links on social media. And a reminder as well is I I will be giving a mental health talk on December 9th from 12 to 1 with NextGen Eastern Ontario and uh, Impact Hub Ottawa. I'll be talking about my story and some ways we can support each other, which I think we need. <laughs> we need to support each other a lot more. Um, you can check us out, lifeandredpodcast.com, at Life and Red Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and Life and Red Pod on Twitter. My guest today, I'm going to be honest, um, this wasn't uh, my, my, my best interview, and it had nothing to do with my guest, but it was just on me. Um, I, I want to embrace having uncomfortable conversations. I think we all need to embrace... Uh, uncomfortable conversations and not because they're uncomfortable to have it's because you know especially as a straight white man um and we talk about privileges uh, i'm at the top of the food chain and to hear other people's stories and trauma is not something i'm unfamiliar with but it doesn't make it easier anytime you hear it and this is an issue that i've wanted to cover for a long time and i wanted to make sure i did it as respectfully and tastefully and supportingly supportive uh, as I could um, make, as we know, it is a, a hot bush button issue for a lot of people, especially on social media. And that is the issue of being trans, of trans people, trans rights, trans inclusion. Um, it's important and we need to talk about this stuff and we need to create a much better and safer uh, environment in which trans people not only can feel themselves and and live a, a healthy and fulfilling life um that's super important and right now uh, we we're, we're not providing that environment so we talk about trans education trans activism um dispel some myths we see on social media a lot uh that's one of the things about this conversation is i actually don't know any trans people in my day-to-day -day life and this was the first time i've actually had a conversation where I was able to ask some questions and just kind of get rid of some of that stuff we see on social media that is complete misinformation. And I, I truly appreciated the time, energy, and uh, making themselves available to, to talk about this stuff because it's important. And we need to do a lot more to make sure uh, we provide that environment where everybody is included and can be successful in whatever life they so choose. So um, please give it up for my guest. They're a trans activist and educator uh, and uh, my new friend and shout out to his sister, Courtney, for the connection who you'll hear in this conversation as well. Uh, again, please give it up for my guest, Riley McEntee. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Welcome to Life 
shout out to my good pal Courtney uh, and your sister uh, for kind of connecting us. Uh, pleased to have today Riley joining me. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, and thank you so much for joining me. I know it's, and I kind of mentioned this before I hit record. It's not the best time in the world right now, especially for the things we're going to talk about. It's a very I don't know why now, but it's just become a very like heated news subject and seems to be very topical for a lot of people. So I appreciate you, one, joining me and uh, wanting to talk about this, um, but also giving the emotional and like labor that that stuff like this requires. So I just really appreciate that you're joining me to talk about it. Of course. Thank you so much. So I'm going to let you kind of like share your story the way you would like it to be told and how you got into like this form of activism for trans rights and health, because that's the big subject. That's a lot to take on, especially for someone as young as yourself, right? Like going through school and all the, the things that happen in life that we do. And now you're taking on this very, for whatever reason, it's a very heated societal subject right now in our culture. Um, And there's a lot of, conversation around it so like how did you get started into being an activist about it it really just started going back to the very beginning when I was younger growing up in Port Sydney little blip of 800 people it was very I always knew something was a little off I would see pictures of men with beards and big shoulders and I'd be like wow like I want to be with that because that's kind of what you expect little girls to want. But it very quickly turned into, I want to be that. And I've achieved kind of one so far. The other one's a little a little ways away, but it was just very, I, I liked masculine things and I wanted to embody them in a way that was more than just being a tomboy, which I was labeled essentially once the label could be applied um I was also always, always like a little weird all my friends were guys playing in the mud Pokemon cliche stuff like that and but I never knew that being like transgender was a thing you don't really talk about queer stuff in mm-hmm. small town northern communities um and so when I went to high school it was about grade 12 little after Caitlyn Jenner not a good icon but the only one really at the time that I could see I was like oh this um this is a thing that like this is actually something that someone can do I don't have to be uncomfortable in this body for the rest of my life and kind of dream about like oh what would it be like if I could just like change genders for a day or something like that or what would it be like if I wasn't gonna be perceived like that I was like oh I can I can just do that and so I essentially did it. I I did like a month of kind of looking up like what is what does it mean to be trans? When do, what is gender dysphoria? What is a binder? Not the school type binder, the mm-hmm. chest mm-hmm. compressing kind. Um, although if you just look up binder, it's just lots of pictures of pretty binders, mm-hmm. not the useful <laughs> kind. But um, so then my last year of high school, I just came out. In March, I put it out there. I put it on my Facebook and kind of just turned my phone off for 48 hours. I was like, this is it. This is what's going on. Y'all can digest it. Um, I'm going to leave and we can talk about it on Monday. That was essentially 
how it happened. Um, everything after Monday, though, was rough. It was mm -hmm. very difficult. Huntsville is not a very accepting town, as much as I wish it were. I worked at a little coffee shop across from the high school called Oliver's. And pardon my language, it will be a little offensive. But I, at any time I'd walk through the hallways, people would be like, oh, there goes a tranny that works at Oliver's. Or there goes the insert trans slur here. If you could imagine it, they had said it multiple times. And for the most part, teachers didn't know that they were slurs, so they didn't do anything. Not because they were being malicious, but they just didn't know how. How can they know to stop this if they don't know what they're looking for? So I, I don't hold any ill towards them. There was one who kind of, she was queer herself, so she kind of knew what was going on, but I never really had her for a teacher, so she usually wasn't around. Um, I lost a lot of friends, too. When I came out, I was in cadets, and there was a lot of people who I was kind of like one of the family friends. They would invite me for Thanksgiving, which is a big deal, or I'd be invited to go to their kids' graduation. Like, it was... I was in a lot of folks and I was relatively respected and liked and nothing changed but my name and how I identified in my gender. The way I dressed essentially stayed the same, but it was as if I was a different morally corrupt person. Mm. It, I, yeah, it went down very poorly. My parents, I love them but they never had any exposure to queer folks growing up. Really, the only person that had any exposure was Courtney. God bless her. If she wasn't there, I don't know what would have happened. <laughs> so huge shout out. Huge shout out to her. Um, my parents, they came around, though. It was very, my dad, a very logical person, saw it as people who are trans have high rates of depression, anxiety, suicide, homelessness. Um, lower pay, lower everything. If you can imagine a negative social outcome for some group, trans people tend to fit every single one. I can't think of any category where trans people on average do better than the average cis person. So it was very, my father didn't want me to wind up like that. So he kind of thought if I can help my child be happy in what I perceive them to be before and they don't become trans and they won't wind up like this. Wrong logical leap, but right intention. So it ended up, we came to like the common ground that was like, this is how it's going to be. And if you keep doing this, it's going to get worse for me. So if you don't want it to end up like this, then I, I just, I need you to love me and support, support me. But being the very headstrong person I am, I essentially told my parents, I was like, you can take me or you can leave me. I'm not giving you a fucking choice. I know who I am. I've, I've been in my own body for 17 years. I know that you guys made me, but I think I know me a little bit better. And if it weren't for that, though, like if I was a little bit more of a pushover I I would have probably just succumbed and I'm like okay I'll do what you want until I leave the house so that was that was a big part
My grandmother was amazing. She was excited to have a grandson. Shout out to her. I've heard she, wonderful things about your your grandmother. <laughs> yes, my grammary is amazing. It was, there was this moment in the bowling alley. Uh, Courtney was there. My little brother was there. The family was there. Um, we all just went out bowling and I kind of told my grandmother what was going on. I was like, hey, um, I kind of just like, I identify as a guy now. I'd like to go by my middle name, Riley. And she was like, I always wanted a grandson. And we all hugged and we cried. And it was like this super <laughs> emotional move, like moment. Courtney and my little brother Liam joined in. It was just like the four of us. It was like a lot of tears, <laughs> a lot of crying. But that was, that acceptance was like, right. Some people will just be like, yes, okay what makes you happy is what is best for you and what is best for you is what I want. And so there have been some folks in my life who have been like that. And that is the biggest thing. Just love your family. Try to understand what's going on. If you can't understand, that doesn't mean it's bad. That just means look it up. There's so much stuff on YouTube, amazing movies. Now that you can check out positive representation, which is huge because that, when I was growing up, that did not exist. You didn't really see trans people, let alone trans men in media. So seeing that now is, it's really nice. Everyone, want, mm-hmm. everyone wants to see someone who is like them on the big screen. Mm-hmm. And for some folks, it takes a little bit longer. Thank you for sharing that. I know uh, reliving some of that stuff is not easy. Um, so thank you. You, you touched on a, a lot of things that I want to get into, but I want to kind of set um, just like some baseline info because you mentioned like gender dysphoria and being trans. Uh, and that's something that, you know, you see online a lot. Um, and that's why I, I like to have conversations with people who know better than me because I'm not, I don't know the difference. And even reading about it, like, how, how are they differentiated um, in, in terms of like how you, you live your life and, and mm-hmm. all that? So gender dysphoria is essentially, and it was classified as like a mental disorder by the World Health Organization, but medicine's changed, thank goodness. Gender dysphoria is essentially, so there are lots, almost everyone experiences dysphoria, which is just a feeling of unrest in your body. Um, unfortunately, a lot of women and men feel it, typically men, and you see like the he-man macho picture and men are like, why don't I look like that? Mm. Why don't I have that perfect triangle shape? Why don't I have an APAC? Why don't I have like all of these things like that sharp jawline? That is a feeling of dysmorphia within your own body. Mm. Whereas for women, it can be, why aren't I taller? Why aren't I shorter? Why aren't my legs a certain way why isn't my body this perfect construction that society keeps wanting me to look like but it can also be very simple things like I some people feel dysmorphic about the way that their knees sit so gender dysphoria is just a subcategory of Mm. dysmorphia specific to gender so it's just for the most part prior to my surgery I had um, breasts And I felt a large amount of dysmorphia around that area specifically tied to my gender. Because oftentimes, if you 
have an average size figure and above average size breasts, it tends to be seen as a feminine or inherently female thing. And that can cause gender dysphoria in someone who does not identify with femininity and or being a female. Mm. So that's just kind of the short brief of it. Okay. But everyone, it's not, it is not mandatory to have gender dysphoria to be trans. There's a huge thing. Um, it's often called trans medicalists, where they will believe that you must have a medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria to be trans. I don't buy that one bit. Um, I'm in third year philosophy and political science. The more I learn about identity and all this stuff and scientific categorization, the more I think it's pardon my language, fucking bullshit. You do not need a scientific category to validate your identity. No one ever needs that. And I just really need to drill that in because a lot of people feel they're ostracized from the community because non-binary people or folks who kind of sway from one side to the other or just go completely outside of the gender binary, sometimes they don't have gender dysphoria or they experience it differently on different days, but that does not make them any less valid in their trans identity. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's a really important point. Um, like, you know you and you know your identity and like, you, you don't need to rely on other people being like, no, that's not your identity, right? Like, it, yeah. it, it makes total sense, yet we, we constantly want to, like you said, like put that, that, make it that concrete science-y, like, no, it's, it's factual. So it has to be either black or white or, you know, that, that one or two, the zero one type thing. Um, and that's important to, to recognize. One of the other things I wanted to talk about is you mentioned representation. And uh, I think since Caitlyn Jenner uh, announced, you know, the transition, we, we know <laughs> she is a very uh, infallible person um, and has many, you know, many, um, I don't know what the word is, many uh, faults of things that she believes in. But I think that really opened the conversation and the, the general, I guess, uh, seeking of information about it, because I, I'm not that old. I'm, I'm about to turn 30. But I think back to even when I was in high school, which was, you know, 2006 to 2010, like we didn't even have like out gay people really yet. Like it was very much everyone was still outwardly straight, at least. Um, and I, I remember one of the early episodes I had with my brother um, because he grew up gay in a small town and he came out very early. And I was like, what was that like? Because, you know, we're, we weren't exactly accepting. And this was only 10 years ago. So when it came to, you know, was, when, was, when did Caitlin um, announce? Uh, was it 2016? It was I thought, yeah, around 15 or 16. So if you think about like that's five years ago now, like not a very long time. And I guess when we're talking about representation, I, I still think when we're talking about trans representation, it's still trans women that get the majority of the conversation. And I, I have yet to really see a, a, a good piece of representation for trans men. I think you're still kind of forgotten about in the larger conversation. Does it feel that way? Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. There was um, 
the name of the movie is slipping me now, but there was a documentary started with a D, but it was basically just all about, I think it was called Disclosure, um, but it's just about trans people. It just followed trans representation in the media. And the only trans man that I can remember um, is Elliot Fletcher. He was in season seven or eight of Shameless. He was only in for like a couple episodes. But I, I saw that. I only watched those couple episodes just for him. But he had the scars. He didn't have the bottom surgery. He was just a perfect representation of what I was. Mm-hmm. And that's the only time I've seen that. Like, you don't. And they weren't scared to talk about it. Most people are like, oh, like, they might allude to it. But that's the only time. I, I can ask any of my other friends, even if it's just an out gay character every show has a token gay now so it's not hard to find stuff like that so it's yeah it's it's difficult to see trans men represented in the media represented yeah Yeah, trans men and non-binary people for sure i still think yeah there's still a long way to go to that i know like i loved sex education and that introduced uh, a non-binary character um and i thought that was huge and it was great but like that's one show in in 20 million i don't know how many shows there are but <laughs> what, I, what i wanted to ask is once you you came out you left your screen you mentioned you know it was a very difficult time and you mentioned you had supports which is wonderful from there until now like how have you been able to navigate it because i think from what I've read from the other trans advocates uh, that I, I follow on social media, I think about um, Amanda Knox, um, just reading through some of the threads and, and hearing trans stories is that, you know, they lose their families, they lose their friends, and they're almost completely isolated outside of the, the trans community. How did you, how were you able to navigate? How were you able to find support was it online groups was it community groups was it uh you know just googling things and just trying to make it on your own uh, like what sorts of things did you do to try to to bolster that support system to to help you mm-hmm. being in Huntsville the closest uh transport group was in Aurelia and I didn't have a car and there was really no way for me to get there so any like actual in-person support was is out of the question. Like it's a $50 bus ticket to get down there and then 50 back, like that doesn't make sense. So in-person support groups weren't a thing. Muskoka doesn't really have much queer resources. And if they do, it's not trans specific. For example, when I started um, hormone replacement therapy, there was no doctor in Huntsville or Muskoka that I knew of that had ever done that before. Mm. So if I were to start that with a doctor who had done the process before, I would have had to go to 10. Thank goodness, though, Dr. Allison Small in Huntsville, shout out to her because it would have taken me a lot longer to be where I am without her. She was like, hey, I've already got a bit of a practice, but I'm willing to take this on. I want you to know I've never done it. So it'll be kind of like a guinea pig project for her. She was like, if you're okay with doing this process with me as the first, then I will do what I can to help you start your hormone replacement therapy. And I was like, that would be amazing. But it's if I wasn't so lucky to have her who was eager to learn and to to do all of this, 
then I would have probably had to have gone out of town and I had to get my shot once a week starting every other week and then it was every week so if it wasn't in town it I would have probably had to have postponed or had like taken out a giant financial debt and buy a car so that I could start this process so the the in-town services essentially didn't exist I once again Courtney was huge she was in Ottawa for a lot of the time but just having her there was amazing when I was like I really need your help in talking to my family about this because Mm. I really respect you you're you're really fucking smart and I think you could help me she championed my cause every time and it was I was pretty lucky Mm. (laughs) um sorry I'm tearing up a little bit here that's okay take your time no rush to get through anything um yeah otherwise it was mostly just looking online Mm. there weren't any out people that i knew of at my school especially like out and like active about it there were i don't know i was i was pretty alone it was mostly like the internet and courtney he was in ottawa and that was kind of it and i so i kind of had to find the support in myself like I kind of had to become my own rock because I didn't really have any other choice it was like there, there just wasn't other stuff for me I, I think that's getting better in that town um I'm not sure though mm-hmm. it's yeah it's like slow progress right like even like in small towns like people coming out as gay is still like a pretty big deal um Mm -hmm. it's like it's not exactly accepted so as you start putting like as as more people are expressing their 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 gender identity or their sexuality in different ways which is if you go to the big city like toronto like even ottawa doesn't i don't think has a very vibrant scene of representation and people being comfortable but like toronto or you go like new york san francisco right like where it would be a lot more open you the kind of like the farther way you go, the like the less mm-hmm. accepting it might be. One of the common things the right wing people and, and transphobic people and, and bigots like to push is they kind of frame the narrative that like you, anybody can just walk into a doctor's office and say, hi, I'm trans. Also want to preface this by understanding that you do not need hormone treatment to be trans like yeah. uh, just want to make sure we, we say that off loud but that you can just go in and be like hi i'd like a uh, hormone replacement therapy please doctor goes okay no problem let's start right now they they, they, they make it seem, yeah like they make it seem <laughs> like kids are just walking into their doctors and picking up uh, a package and then they're on their way to becoming you know uh like to take the hormones yeah. How actually, like, is it covered by the government for one in OHIP? Because you mentioned about that large financial kind mm-hmm. of um, burden that you might have had to take on. But, like, you've already answered the question briefly, but like, it's not that easy, is it? No, it's it's very difficult. Now, I can only talk to like the trans mask experience. I don't know because trans women oftentimes they're quite lucky. They can get estrogen in a pill. I got to get mine on an intramuscular needle which is like mm-hmm. an inch or a little bit bigger. And I hate needles. So this shit was hell. Oh, wow. Like it was like a constant. I was like, I really, really want this, but also I am so scared and cry almost every time. 
Um, but so I, I came out in March. I started talking to a doctor a little thereafter. I was 17. Uh, my birthday was in November. So I was getting pretty close to the like legal adult age. So was, my time was a little bit gray. Uh, people who are like early 17 or 16 and younger often start on puberty blockers first. Mm. And then they'll switch to HRT around 18. Um, and puberty blockers are very, a lot of the effects are reversible. It essentially just takes whatever stage of the puberty that you're in and it just stops it. So it's like certain things just don't happen. Like some fat redistribution just doesn't occur. Um, hair growth or hair like promotion is just kind of, you kind of just remain like a, a childlike state, if that makes any sense up until, and then it's like, okay, do you want to go through a testosterone puberty or an estrogen puberty? So mm. it gives children more of a safe space in their body so that they don't have to go through the development of certain things that they, that will cause them a lot of discomfort because just simply having, or like knowing that you have what can be perceived as breasts for uh, trans mass children can be uh, debilitating in some situations. Um, but I'll come back to that a little later. Mm -hmm. For me, so I went in March or April. I didn't start my hormone therapy until September. So that gives you a pretty good, like, mm -hmm. it was six months of, like, meeting with the doctor twice a month, at least once a month. And I was meeting with two different doctors, my family doctor and this doctor who's willing to take me on. So it took a while to even just, like, get it rolling. And I needed two doctors to sign off to start this process. So that right there is like a that, that's a big thing i so, was lucky to, i'm not sorry, trying to interrupt i was just gonna say like are they trying to like make sure you don't change your mind like is that like why they that's a big thing okay they're really worried and especially being 17 like i i needed my parental consent but it was also so close that i didn't so they really wanted to make sure that i knew what i was getting myself into because this is a lifelong commitment and not just like a fad or trend as some people would say they never said trend but it's always like the subconscious thing. They don't want to give you something that isn't right for you. So it's just a lot of meeting, making sure that you know what's going to happen. Do you know the side effects of testosterone? Here are the short-term effects, the long-term effects, three months, six months, one year, two years, stuff like that. So really just making sure that I knew what I was going to do, what would happen, what is reversible, what is not reversible and other stuff like that and also down to the and the uh, psychiatrist I met had to help me a lot with this which was also someone I, I had to go see a psychiatrist but the closest one who was uh, qualified was in Aurelia so once again like I had to go to Aurelia for that uh, shout out to my mom for driving me all the time but if I didn't have a parent or a friend with a car who would have been willing to drive me once again, that would have taken a lot longer. Might have had to buy a car myself, and cars are not cheap. And gas up north is pricey. I mean, mm -hmm. it's pricey everywhere now. But mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I had to see a psychiatrist once a month, once every other month, several times. And she was very like, she was like, "You're gonna smell like a billy goat. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna grow hair everywhere. You're gonna smell like shit." It was not like, "Hey, like the trans pill is amazing. Do it." Mm -hmm. No, I was like. This is like male puberty sucks ass. Do you want this? And I was like, yeah. She was like, are like, are you sure? Like, there are some things you can't undo. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I need, like, I need this. I, I need comfort in my body, and I 
think that this is the best way to do it. And so far, from everyone I've talked to, the two doctors and the psychiatrist, this seems like the best way. But it took forever. Mm. And that was just to start the hormones. And that was essentially starting me one dose every two weeks for a couple months. And then eventually it was like a dose a week and then a half dose the next week. And then it was one full dose. And I had to do it at the doctor's for a long time. It took like a year before I could do it at my own house. So it was, you can't, fucking drives me crazy with people that are like, you can just walk in and get this. Mm -hmm. No, no, you can't. And I was covered by OHIP for most of it. But there was one experience where I wasn't covered. I almost wasn't covered by student insurance. And I had to buy a testosterone file. But they were out of my usual one. And the one they gave me, if I did not have student insurance, it would have been $160 for the month. Not including what I have to pay for the needles, the disposal box, or uh, the... Because I need two different kinds of needles. One to pull out of the vial, one to uh, inject. So like student insurance brought it down to like 30, but folks who are no longer covered by OHIP and don't have any kind of insurance, these costs can shoot up so quickly. And I go the intramuscular route, but if you don't, there's like a gel you can use. There are patches. They cost absurd amounts and they are less effective. So the whole process costs a lot of money especially if you're beyond the age of 18 and you're like an adult who's uninsured, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't cost that much money. But so I was lucky to have most of it covered. Yeah. Especially like when this has such a huge implication on your mental health, your, your livelihood, you know, if you didn't have the supports, like you said, if you were over the age of 18, like this would almost be impossible for you to do, which I think yeah. would be, what happens to a lot of trans kids where they don't have the parental support and why it's so difficult. Then why, and at least in your opinion, I know we don't really have like a, a concrete answer. Why does the narrative that all, like it just, when you even look at what's been in the news lately and you think of, you know, the atrocious person of Rosie DeMano and, and, you know, now Margaret Ackwood, like they're, they seem to be pushing these narratives that, like all these kids are going in and asking for hormone therapy and getting it and then wanting to detransition. And now it's like this, like CTV made it, painted it out to be like this huge crisis. I mean, I, I'm pretty far removed from it, but like, why do. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Man. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. Um, why, do, why do it, does it seem like the right is painting it out to be this huge crisis that all these kids are, are like harming themselves by trying to transition because they just don't as far as i'm aware they generally don't like non-traditional things and this is a a very non-traditional thing but also the right very rarely believes in child autonomy which i i hope that this um becomes more popular but most people are like children don't have autonomy well, most kids actually know what is and isn't good for them. The majority of trans people know before 14. Like the, the majority of trans people who do not detransition later, they know by like 10. And if not 10, then usually 14. I was a late bloomer and I came out at 17. So that gives you some pretty good context to if you are living in your body 24-7, you will know if your body feels right or wrong. And so... 
people don't don't think they want to believe that they want to think that the child is this representation of them and they know what's best for them the constant parental thing but kids they know they will know and if they tell you and you don't listen and especially with right-wing folks who just put out this sort of narrative that this is hurting them and it's like this big boogeyman i i don't know where the transphobia is rooted in but i'm i'm pretty sure it comes from just a level of xenophobia and just outright non-traditionalist views mm. the the picture they'll paint is like we like the 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 thing that i'm, I'm like quoting them paraphrasing them that we support trans people but kids are just too young to know to what they're doing and they should wait and then that's where the issue of, you know, puberty blockers, like, you know, all that stuff. As a trans person, do you feel like these people support your best interests and that they're, they're wanting to wait? Like they're just Never. trying to protect you? God, no, they don't know what's best for me. It's, it's like how people will try and block abortion for the betterment of women and the children. You don't give a shit about those women. You don't give a shit about those children. If you cared about those children, you would do everything you can for them after the fact. Mm. But you you don't. You just don't want this to happen. It, it's just masquerading your own beliefs in the interest of the people that you're trying to protect. That's no. I've never I've never felt like there's been a right wing person who was like, Oh, I'm down with trans people, but like I don't like when they do this. And I'm like then you don't you don't support me. If you supported me, you would support my autonomy in this decision. That's like like that's my belief. It's like I I don't know what it's like to be trans. I I can't you know fathom what it's like to be. So the default should be like I support you. You know yourself, and uh, like I support your autonomy to make the choices that make you happy. As long as you're not harming other people. That's like the general belief. And I think most people should have. Mm -hmm. And as long as it's informed. And the thing is, for me to start my process, I had to be so informed. I essentially had to recite all of the side effects, long term, short term, et cetera, to the doctor before they'd be like, okay. So like children probably in the same way would have to be, they would need to recognize this is what puberty blockers can do. This is the potential long term side effect. They're very small, um, but you need to be aware of it. And children aren't dumb. Spoiler alert, children, they can make some dumb choices, but they are pretty freaking sharp. And if something feels absolutely right to them, then they're going to stick by it. And with stuff like this, like they they know. They will Mm -hmm. know. There's been, I mean, it's not new. There's... You know, there's J.K. Rowling a couple of years ago. There's always books being written about this subject and uh, in the faith of like journalism. But for whatever reason, it seems like the last couple of weeks, these these issues have been accelerated in in the media. Um, we've seen like three pieces written in the last like couple of weeks that were part of like the like the biggest news agencies in Canada. CTV did a a W5 on it, uh, which was ridiculous. Like, talk to three people and they're like, okay, like, here's my conclusion. Um, you had the <laughs> Toronto, you had the Toronto Star, you had people like Margaret Atwood, who's retweeting stuff, who's a for those who don't know, is a large prominent figure in 
um, the literate, like the an author who's like world famous. She was like one of the crown journalists or yeah. just author jewels of Canada. So, I mean, with everything that's been in the news lately, like, how have you been feeling? How have you been in taking it all? I'm, I'm sure you're no stranger to all the dialogue that's happening around it on the internet. Like, how are you handling this both personally and like as, as an activist? Mostly, um, I just get, I just get fucking pissed off. Like I just, I read it and I'm like, how, how can you have these premises and then come to this conclusion? Like this literally does not make sense. It does not follow. I do not understand how you can take these opinion pieces you must be wearing blinders and just only want to hear what you want to hear and not like actually look at anything else. Or it's just old traditionalist views that are unchallenged. And when folks have large platforms and they become these huge important people in societies, they think that they are infallible. How can they be wrong? They have done so good and so much. They must have some level of authority on this, right? Like, that was one of the best-selling authors in Canada. She must, like, know something. Like, she comes from a credible background. But it's like, no, stay in your lane. I'm sorry, Atwood, you write some amazing books. But please, can we stick to the literature and not try to talk about sociology, psychology, or the philosophy or anything that's, like, around trans folks? I, your opinions sometimes can be useful. However, if they can seriously hurt some people in an already very contentious political atmosphere, please think before you tweet. That's all I ask. Like you are literally hurting people by doing this. This is a big, big question. So I don't know if you have an answer and um, answer the way you feel comfortable answering it. But the large issue when it comes to trans rights and, and equality and autonomy is that a lot of people put it up against like women's rights. Like, so when we talk about women's sports or we talk about giving birth or we talking to yeah. talk about feminism, even like there seems, and, and that's where the term turf comes from. The trans exclusionary, exclusionary radical, radical yeah. feminist. Oh yeah. How, I mean, again, big question. So I don't expect a concrete answer, but when you're, in these spaces, when you're educating people, when you're talking to people, like how do you go about this subject? Because someone like me, even though I have my beliefs, like it's something that, and I think it's people want to do this, make you scared to speak up and talk about it because they're using their oppression as like a weapon and especially the turfs in this, this case, right? Like that's kind of what they're doing. Like, how yeah. do you go about trying to talk about this stuff in a way that's going to resonate with people? Uh, or maybe you're like, you don't even give a shit. You're like, I'll piss off people. I don't care because it's my truth and it's the truth. How do you go about it? It's a very careful uh, tightrope between the two. As much as I want to be like, fuck you, I don't care about your opinions. It's like, mm -hmm. I actually do because if I can help change your opinions, I can help people later down the road. So it's like this constant, right? I just want to be like, like you suck but do you suck because it's your fault is it just the environment you grew up in can you be changed can we come to some kind of a middle ground so i usually try to take a compassionate like empathetic approach first and i'm like why do you feel this way 
And I was listening to a podcast uh, Owen Jones had, I think it was Judith Butler on. And for Butler, it was a huge, um, which uh, they kind of boiled it down to was the fixation of the penis. Sounds kind of weird, but a lot of TERFs will, they are terrified at the concept of someone who has a penis within their space. But it's, that's not what it should be about if and and the thing is when turfs think of a trans woman they think of someone who has i don't know predominant masculine figure like a strong jaw or like something kind of cliche if you were to have the majority of trans women walk into a women's washroom no one would bat an eye if you were to have me walk into a women's washroom i would be rushed out pretty quickly but is that not what they want? Do they not want me in their washroom and trans women in men's washrooms? Like what's, what's going on? You can't have your cake needed too. So what is the actual issue here? It's not, so it's not trans men. So that's obviously not the issue here. So it's trans women, but you don't have an issue when you don't know that they may or may not have a penis. So it just boils down to you are scared that you're, feminine places might contain something that has often been seen as a tool of oppression, which has just been folks who have this tend to be the oppressors. And it takes a lot to unpack that. And oftentimes a lot of that can stem from sexual assault, domestic assault, other forms of that, which is entirely valid. The issue is the conclusion that they come to because of that, that then wraps up trans women unfairly in this. So with stuff like that, compassion is always one of the most important ways to come from that. That's obviously not what always happens. Sometimes there are just people who are like, I don't know, I don't like trans women. I'm like, okay, then you're uh, xenophobic, a bigot, like rude. I, like, I don't really know how to start here then. But for some people, it's deep-rooted trauma that hasn't been resolved and just comes out and attacks other people. So you just got to try and meet people where they're at and if whatever preconceptions they have just try and help break them down just talk to them show them we are people too we just gotta just gotta fucking piss okay like we're not in here to do anything the rates of assault from trans women on women in washroom is a zero like that just doesn't happen there are so many other things that we should be worried about um but unfortunately, oftentimes statistics aren't what they're worried about. So it's just preconceptions. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know. I, I don't, I kind of don't like the term turf because I feel like if you're a feminist, you're not going to exclude these people regardless. Right. And the big thing with a lot of social movements has always been leaving other people behind. The original mm -hmm. feminist movement left behind anyone that wasn't a better class white woman. So modern day feminism ideally like it includes all folks of all strokes so it's i don't know i i don't i don't think you could be a, a third wave or fourth wave i don't know what wave we're in uh <laughs> feminist and be exclusionary of trans people though it's the same thing when i have conversations about masculinity with men and being like you know like feminists like feminism benefits us too right like taking part the patriarchy benefits us too yeah. And, and, right. Like, I think like what you're saying and uh, like on a bunch of episodes that I've, I've had recently is that 
and, and you can take this into the context of COVID, of vaccines, of whatever you want to do. Like we paint a picture and a narrative in our minds by what we see on social media, what we see in our echo chambers, what we see on movies, in, in news, that like we, like we take the sensationalized stories uh, and we paint that as the picture of reality. And I think yeah. we do that with almost everything and we get lost that, uh, you know, what, what I think we were talking before and you, you mentioned a statistic that, you know, we look at these right wing people, they're writing stories about, uh, you know, people detransitioning and now there's like this huge issue of, of kids not knowing what they want. Now they're taking puberty blockers and then they want to transition and they ruin their lives. I think you said it's like 0. 0.0 something of it's like something super low. It's definitely less than like 5%. And if you were to do like a ratio of the amount of people in media who are presented as detransitioning and those who have had a good transition, it's the imbalance is absurd. Yeah. And it's like vaccines, right? Like, or, or people who are vaccinated and not vaccinated in the hospital. Well, it's like a million people can be in the hospital, five are unvaccinated or five are vaccinated and the rest aren't, but people will be like, well, see, vaccines don't work. Like, it's like, no, 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 yeah. no. Like we, <laughs> we, we create this, this thing by based on like one store, we hear one thing, we listen to one podcast and we're like, okay, well, like that's the truth. And it's like, we, we fail to account for how many people this actually affects and how many people have a, a healthy transition in this case and yeah. go on to live healthy, productive, and happy lives because of this process that they went through, which is already incredibly invalidating and traumatic just to get to that point. Absolutely. And if I can add on, like a big thing too, when I first came out, I, to me, there was black and white. There was female or male. You got to pick one. And so if one doesn't feel right, then I guess you got to pick the other. Like there's no other two options. So I just took the full extreme. I went from, okay, like, fuck everything feminine and female. I'm going all the way over here. But that's not how that works. That's not how gender works. Gender is a expression built upon a multitude of different things. The way that you talk, the way that you act, how you dress, etc. It's like so much more than just a binary. So if it could become more common that you can kind of experiment a bit like this isn't rigid and it's okay you can do what you want if you're more of a masculine dude and frick i don't have tiktok but i see the videos a lot on instagram there's some pretty masculine dudes that are doing dances and whatnot and dresses now that wouldn't have happened before but it's like it that is comfort in your masculinity to be able to kind of go and dabble into something else or express yourself however you want to regardless of however it might be perceived if people could learn that it's not black and white it's a big colorful gray zone essentially you can you can fuck around and figure out i think that that would probably reduce the rates of detransitioning and just let people be more comfortable mm. that's like basically the the thesis of like the talks that I give uh, on masculinity is uh, it's like, you can go out into the woods, like chopping wood, big and muscular, listening to like metal, but you could be in a dress and like have your nails painted. And like, it doesn't really matter if you're doing it as an expression 
and and like you're a man and you identify as a man like that you're still a man you can even yeah. put on musicals instead of and like dance while you're chopping the wood and it doesn't matter <laughs> it doesn't matter like that's your expression of your masculinity and like it's fine the only reason yeah. it's not fine is because people are uncomfortable with that but in reality it's fine and it's nobody else's business but your own exactly one of the things i wanted to because you mentioned tiktok and this is a, a narrative that is also being pushed that a bunch of kids are now seeing like whether it's their friends at school or they're seeing people on TikTok uh, or Instagram, whatever social platform are, are transitioning. And people seem to think that that is leading to more kids wanting to transition. And that's also pushing the narrative that they're not actually trans. They just are following like a, a group movement type thing. Trans trenders. Yeah. I think. They oh, is that what it's? Oh, I haven't heard that term ago. before. Oh, maybe so, so mad I've never heard of it. One of the biggest points I push on this podcast is, and we go back to the conversation of Caitlyn Jenner, that a lot of people in their mind, because they never heard of it before, when Caitlyn Jenner transitioned, they, they feel like, oh my goodness, now all of a sudden, like all, there's all these people who are transitioning and, and coming out as trans, like all that. And that's like what they're pushing. When in reality, it's, they were always there. They were always talking about these issues. You go back to, you know, the first, you know, civil rights movements and the first like pride movements. Like it was pushed by trans people and and all that. It's always been around. Just now people feel comfortable more so sharing it with the general public. Um, We're still not safe, but we're safer than we might have been, say, in the 80s or 90s. There's and the less second social is, ostracization. Yeah. And the second is we have social media now where we can do this on our terms and we're not relying on the gatekeepers to, to like control yeah. the messaging. Like, so when you hear, so you mentioned that term, uh, what it trans trending no, or trans trend, trenders, trans trender. Like, I mean, like what, <laughs> what do you, what do you say to that? Like, how do you, is that like what is happening or is it just people feel more comfortable being their true authentic selves? I think it's just that there are, we've seen this increase in a bunch of places. People are coming out as any variation of queer more often. Like we see the first gay footballer, the first gay mm-hmm. um, was like mm-hmm. European football, first gay person in NHL. And it's like, where were they before? It's like, no, they were there. They were just depressed and hidden. Like they just, had to lie to everyone of themselves and for a long time if someone came out they'd be kicked the fuck out they wouldn't be drafted their team would get rid of them they'd be ostracized by their players and probably their fan base and if you're losing money for your team you gotta go like that's just that's just how it was but that's not how the world functions for the most part nowadays it's a lot more acceptable and almost encouraged to have like a sense of diversity just because that's how people exist that's how we are if there is no diversity then what does that say about the kind of stuff that you are fostering so you'll see now there are more trans people because they're either not killing themselves in their youth because they feel like they can live a good life which happens with other queer people all the time um they have safe spaces to be. Places are becoming, as urbanization tends to increase, 
those areas, you can find people like you, no matter how niche you go. If you have some super niche habit or something or hobby, you can find a group in the city that has the same stuff. Like that's, that's just how they work for the most part. I don't know about Ottawa, the bigger cities, definitely. But so if you're like, I need a trans support group and you are within an urban setting, you will be able to find people like you. Whereas when people were more rural or transportation was less difficult or you didn't really see someone like you, you didn't really know what to do. So it's the, the famous thing. When you see people who are like you living a life that you want to live, you might try to get there. But if you never thought that you could have lived that life, like a happy life as yourself, that wasn't represented in the media prior to like, God, I don't even know, maybe like 2014 or something. Yeah. One of the first major like, kind of happy trans characters was unfortunately in a prison in orange is the new black but it was a positive representation negative because it was in prison but it was there and they were a cool person she was freaking cool uh laverne cox is also just an amazing person Mm -hmm. all around so that Mm -hmm. was amazing but prior to that it was often trans women were the murdered prostitute in an NCIS episode. They would lift up the skirt and be like, oh, as if it's something shameful. Or you would see movies about a trans guy who's kind of in the beginning of coming out and they get beaten and worse. And that's kind of the end of the movie. There, You only saw your life as a disaster and often ending in murder or like really bad assault. So as you see happy trans people living happy lives, you recognize that you don't have to stay hidden. You you can be happy. There is a place in the world for you. It might be difficult, but it's a lot fucking easier than it was before. So this whole like Instagram thing, it's not it's not that it's a trend. It's just that people want to be them and they want to be happy. Get the fuck over it. Like, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's such a, a, it's a heartbreaking, but a fabulous point that you raised about that representation fact, right? Like for so often it was a joke, like, right. Like the guy would be hooking up with someone and then find out that it, that, you know, there's yeah. a penis and then whatever the comedy ensues, or like you said, like, violence or or it's like a murder episode and to watch people be happy you're right that's such a big point I think it's one that so many people often miss when it comes to media and the portrayal of of different characters it's it's huge um one of the things we I wanted to talk about and I know it's like you kind of just figured it out so I know you can't like speak super like candidly on the subject but Bill 2 in Quebec, which is basically, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, that they're, they're separating on IDs like sexuality and gender. Why is that harmful? Like sex and gender. Yeah, I don't sorry. think they're sexual. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That's what I meant. Sex and gender. My bad. I was like, um, oh my but, gosh, a pretty good identity too. Frick. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, they want to know the government. They want to know everything. Right. But yeah. why is that particularly harmful? Well, it's a constant outing. There are so many situations where, and it's for 
I don't know if it's as bad for trans men because I've been a little okay and the rates of violence against trans men are a lot lower. They're still higher than they should be, but they tend to be lower. But with trans women, uh, if it says female, but then it'll mark also like male or whatever it might say to indicate that they haven't gotten a super invasive and for most people unnecessary surgery um, being like the lower bottom surgery. Um, then that right away paints a target on you for people. And this was often um, cited as like a legal defense, but gay panic. In the States, a lot of times, like let's say you're out at a bar and you get ID'd. Um, well, if it says M and F, so it's like, okay, well, you're obviously a trans woman. Um, and then maybe they just kind of glow. Maybe like they talk to a guy, that person might go over to the guy and be like, hey, like, just so you know, like they got a penis, like that's a dude. There have been accounts of stuff like that happening, mm. not with the ID, but this ID would make it easier, where then that dude who was hitting on the trans woman fucking murders her and cites gay panic and is fine. Gay panic was essentially the a, a legal way of justifying murdering someone if because you were scared it was it was gay or something like that. And that was it's very crazy. I'd recommend looking it up. The whole concept of it made me feel sick when I first learned about it um, but it is still legal in a lot of states and it was very legal in almost all of the states not too long ago so I don't know if gay panic could be cited as a legal defense in Quebec but this would just lead to putting trans women in those vulnerable positions like and no trans person has any obligation to out themselves at any point in time to someone if they want to, that's fine. But if they're just going out to have a few drinks and flirt with some people, who the fuck cares? Like that it, it's not necessary to know. You don't need to know someone's medical information right away. If it's not expected of anyone else, why would it be expected of them? Mm. But it's just, it, it puts these women in these situations where it, it just not only does it psychologically fuck you up, but it will just put you in dangerous positions. And then, on top of that, most trans people don't want that surgery. They don't want their dominant sex organs to be swapped out for something else. They're fine with where they're at. Uh, this bill will force people into having to get this surgery to feel like they are complete when that's not necessary. That is expensive. It requires time off from work. There are so many complications like a lot uh, with just like a, a phalloplasty, which is taking like a skin graft from your arm, reforming and doing a bunch of stuff from the bottom of a trans man to like try and form some kind of a penis. Like 99% chance of one issue. It's like 97 of two, maybe like 95% of three. And every time one complication happens, like your urinary, your urinary tract collapses or something, that can cause an infection. Like there's just... It's just not good. It will cause a lot of health problems on top of psychological problems, as well as putting people in very vulnerable, abusive situations, let alone if you need to show ID when you sign in like to a hotel or something. Like, I don't know, trans women are targeted enough. It would just be fucking gross and inhumane to then just paint it on their ID, which they have to present in most situations. 
I mean, Quebec is not the most inclusive place ever. Uh, I know, I can't remember what the bill is. Is it C21 21. or something? Yeah, where yeah. you can't even, you know, religious exemptions and you have to conform to, as they say, the culture of Quebec, which is, you know, I just, a lot of words on Quebec, not a big fan of. One of the, so this is a personal question. So if we want to skip it, it's fine. But I talk about it a lot and I'd like to get your perspective on it. But I, I personally, in my life, talk about dating um, and how annoying it is and dating apps and blah, 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 blah. Oh, man. I, I can imagine it's, it, the, it's just an added complication for you. Is like, what's your dating experience like? And again, we can skip it, share what, what mm-hmm. you're comfortable, but that's, it's a very human subject that we all struggle with and I would just like to hear your thoughts and maybe how we can make it better if possible yeah no I think that's absolutely important I um so I kind of very personal but I uh had I was a victim of a lot of sexual assault when I was very young like ages seven to nine pretty pretty not good stuff so that right there set up all the expectations for my dating life to be pretty shite like it was a perverted notion of what I thought an intimate experiences was supposed to be. So then you add on top of that, a constant feeling of you are out of place, your parts don't line up. And I'm, I tend to only really be attracted to like masculinity in men. So, and for the most part, gay men don't fuck with trans men because they don't have a penis, which is uh, that that's, a very large issue right now, a debate going on over in uh, Britain. But just okay. in general, it's it's um like is that what makes you a man? Is it the penis that makes you a man? And that leads to many other things. But so right there, what do I do? Do I tell them I don't have one? Well, if I put it out on a dating app, uh, especially on Grinder, most of the captions will say no trannies. Mm-hmm. Like they just they just don't want any of that, which is also oftentimes added to no Asians. So shout out to the Asian community. I am so sorry, but God forbid you had a combination of that. Fuck. Um, but just in general, gay men don't really want anything to do with you. Um, which isn't true for all. There are, there are some pretty cool people out there, but it's, and then trying to find like someone who's just accepting in general is difficult because then there's a lot of things you kind of have to explain. And it's it's exhausting just trying to find like if i i've got the most amazing partner right now um Mm. he is amazing he's the one that dropped off the smoothie oh good (laughs) (laughs) uh we've been together for almost two years now i caught him in first year philosophy class and so i've been really lucky i've had a really healthy positive reinforcing relationship for the last two years but when i first came out I was like on my own for like a year, not for lack of trying, um, but just people, it was either, oh, like, that's the tranny, like, you don't really want to do anything with them. Or it's like, oh, like, they don't have what you're looking for. Like, I would just be marked off right away. And or if there was a situation where you, you go in and you didn't mention it, because like I said, you're not obligated to disclose it. Uh, that can leave you open to a awkward vulnerable, oftentimes not good, non-productive, and very rarely violent situations. Mm. Because they'll be like, 
why didn't you tell me? Like, you lied to me. Why did you betray me? It's like, I didn't lie to you. Like, you didn't, you didn't ask. I didn't have to tell you. I didn't betray you. Like, what does it matter? And then now it goes from what you thought was going to be a sweet, intimate moment to, uh, they're, they're calling you a liar. Or, and God forbid, oftentimes you're like, oh, like, you're a fucking woman. Like, why didn't you tell me? It's like, are you like, are you fucking blind? What do you mean? So it, it's a lot of, it's mentally exhausting. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of a lot of trans people I know um, either will wind up in uncomfortable relationships. Uh, oftentimes, trans men who are straight, I've seen them wind up in relationships with uh, self-proclaimed lesbians, which is inherently invalidating of their identity. But most straight women don't want to go sleep with a trans man, and. I don't know. My folks are few and far. I've struggled to find them, but it just it just makes it not good. It's yeah, yeah. It's uh, I'm like I said, like dating. I think for the most part sucks for everybody, and I'm I'm delighted that you've found someone accepting and you found love and happiness because every single planet person on the planet deserves that, and you know it just you're right like the all the issues of uh sexual genitalia um and you know the 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 question of disclosure before you are intimate with somebody you know just so many people have so many opinions and it's such a debated issue i get i just that's kind of wanted i wanted to talk about because I, I it dating is mentally draining for me and i theoretically have the easiest time i like as a as a straight white guy like i would say like straight white women have the easiest and then like straight white guy is probably like second easiest dating experience (laughs) um so to imagine all the other stuff that have to complicate that like fuck like i wouldn't want to do it yeah um like i i didn't want to for the majority of it like it was every every experience was pretty bad and debilitating and just kind of heighten the gender dysphoria and it's Mm -hmm. like is this like is this really who i am like am i am i going to find happiness like why is it so hard what is wrong with me because obviously there is something wrong with me and that was the most internalized thing like people don't like me people don't find me attractive um and this is like this is my problem i have an issue which i don't believe now i mean fuck them they're lost whatever (laughs) i'm great but (laughs) Yeah. It, most people don't get to that point. Yeah, no, it's and like I said, like that, like that's something everybody who struggles with dating experiences, but when you're you you have something that like whether it's a disability, whether it's you're you're gay or, or questioning your sexuality, something that might give you cause for second guessing, like just puts that added pressure and that added mental impact on you. Did I miss, like, is there something you really want people to know what that you want people that maybe we miss talking about that I, that you feel is super important for the public and especially people who might be hearing a lot of this stuff for maybe the first or second time, but like in a more intimate context that they should know in order to, whether it's be a better ally, whether it's to protect trans people, whether it's just to make a, a better world? Like, is there a message that you have? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest one kind of based groundwork, but names and pronouns. Um, if you don't know, don't assume, just ask. If someone has changed their name and you're struggling to change, that's okay. Change is hard, but don't make a big deal about it. Don't make it about you. Don't be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. It's just so hard for me. Look, I get it. I know it's hard for everyone, myself included, but let's just shift the dialogue. Just say, I'm sorry, and then just like correct your name. Or if you mess up a pronoun, don't be like, oh my God, I'm the worst. Like, this isn't what I meant to do. Just be like, he, oh, sorry, she. And then that's it. Just move on. Especially in group conversations. And if something doesn't seem right, don't let it hang. And if you and a friend are talking about someone else who is trans and that friend is using the wrong name or the wrong pronoun, please correct them. If you don't, then what are you doing? Are, are you really an ally if you only do it in front of me? Like, mm. I need the help and I can't do it all on my own. So if someone can feel that just by like trying to, or just practicing it, a big thing was some of my friends would, when I changed my name and pronouns, they would just kind of like, when they talked about me, they would try to like use my name and pronoun actively in the conversation and just kind of like get into the use of it. And that was so helpful, but just don't, don't make it about you. That's my biggest thing. Come from a place of compassion and patience. It can be difficult, um, but if, if you find it difficult for you, please try and imagine how difficult it must be for me. Mm -hmm. Another big thing, if you just have some basic questions or stuff like that, please look up the internet. Like, I, I will talk to you all day about what's what, but it can get exhausting, and some folks just don't have the time or the patience, nor do they need to field the questions that you have. If you can educate yourself, please do that first. Watch a movie, look up YouTube. ContraPoints is freaking phenomenal. Her work is the best. She's on YouTube. Sorry, what's it called? Uh, ContraPoints. So C-O-N-T-R-A points. Right uh, down. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, a, she's a trans woman who kind of did a lot of her transition online and a lot of her work, like she did a whole like one and a half hour long video, really well done on like JK Rowling and stuff like that. And the whole like trans debate and it's theatrical. It's well done. The, the set quality is crazy, but there are people out there that you can find to answer your questions. Or if you're, you know, it's like feeling a little unsure about uh, your friend. Like maybe they're not doing super hot. Just check up on them. The whole transition can be very difficult. Be like, hey, like I noticed this cool resource the other day. Or just say, hey, um, try and use terms that reaffirm them in their identity. So like it always makes me feel pretty fucking cool. People are like, oh, like that shirt, like looks really manly on you or like you look really handsome or just like kind of more masculine words that is so reaffirming in the beginning i don't know if people realize but that was so nice please don't bring attention to the qualities that they're probably not fond of for example 
trans women probably don't want to be complimented if they have broad shoulders or more like uh, more prominently masculine features. Try and comment on the feminine features or just don't at all. If like if you don't have anything to say that you think would reaffirm them and how they feel, don't say anything. Just basic stuff like that. Just be nice. If you are confused on something and you can't find the answer, yes, you can ask, but always be aware of the language that you use. Don't not ask a question because you don't know how to ask it, but don't be rude. Don't be curt. Don't be um, uh, clearly offensive. There is some language that is obviously not good to use. So just trying to avoid that. Mm-hmm. One last thing for you. There's like, when we're talking about a lot of this, a lot of this dialogue is happening online. Um, the, the media, like we talked about, representation, all that hasn't really caught up yet. So people who aren't chronically online, and especially on platforms like Twitter and TikTok, where these happen more so than Facebook and Instagram or Reddit or something, you know what I mean? Um, a, a lot of this is still new. And I think a vast majority of people are well-intentioned and want to want to know more, want to support, um, and aren't inherently transphobic, but are probably very naive and ignorant on some things. Mm-hmm. What I want to ask is a lot of people are very hesitant on this subject because they, they, they feel like they do, it's a walking on eggshells type thing. They don't feel comfortable talking about it or asking questions because they don't want to, you know, ask the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Do, do you... Like, do you feel like this conversation should be something that people walk on eggshells around, or do you feel it should be very much an open and honest dialogue? You, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. because I think a lot of people are scared to ask because they don't want to be seen as a bad person, but they're just very uneducated. And I know they can look it up online, but there is an aspect of having a personal conversation that is when you can connect whatever issue it is to a human being, it just, it, it offers that a, a much more, a better perspective on what's going on. So mm-hmm. like, do you feel it should be a conversation people are very shied away from because they're scared to, to ask? Or like, do you feel it should be a much more open thing for people? Open and do honest. Do you want it to be uh, open? Yes. I think that open and honest is just the best way to open healthy communication for anything really. But in a conversation like this, I've, and I've had some people come to me and they'll be like, you're so easy to talk to. Like, thank you so much for answering my questions. And they're like, I like, I was scared to talk to some other people. So it's like when I went and I spoke at my high school after I graduated and I talked to some of the teachers and I just fielded the questions that they had. They were like, we weren't taught this in teacher's college. Um, we don't really know where to go. So I just, I'm going to ask you this question. It's going to be blunt. It might be rude. Let me know if it is. Let me know how I can better word it. And they would ask and I'd be like, okay, great. Here's the answer. Here's some of the language I would avoid. However, like if you come from, it's like with language, very little of what you say is the literal words that you say, but how you say it. Mm -hmm. So if you say something that is, purely you're just you're inquisitive you just you just want to know so that you can do better be better you're just curious that's great but if you're like i don't understand this shit and mm. you just say it in like an aggressive tone 
well, fuck, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to you now. Like, if you're coming at me like this, this, this isn't open and honest. This is, and I'm almost worried that whatever I say to you, you'll be defensive about. I'm Mm. not trying to limit language. I'm not trying to constrain the things that you say. I'm not here to say that you can't say woman anymore. Say whatever the fuck you want, but just be considerate and compassionate and Yes. The first thing, though, is ask, are you comfortable if I ask you a question about this? Mm. Mm. Some people aren't, especially when I was early in my transition. I didn't want to be asked about it. I was Mm -hmm. trying to answer my own questions about myself in the moment. I didn't have the time or the knowledge, and I would have probably fucked up and panicked or something. Just make sure it's not in a group. If you want to ask someone something, don't ask them at a party when there's a bunch of other people around. Don't ask them especially if they're not out yet, don't ask or don't out them to a group of people they don't know. Just try to make it natural, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Just be, just be human. Don't treat it like yeah. it's this, this, this weird taboo subject. Just treat the person as a person and, and be human about it. Like it, it's really the seems to should be the baseline, but mm-hmm. um, listen, I asked a lot of you, I took up a lot of your time uh, and you were very open, vulnerable um, and, and candid. So listen, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this uh, and talk about it. And especially in a time where it's not always safe to talk about things like this on a public forum. Um, I just, I just really, really appreciate it. And I'm very, like, I'm happy that you've been able to, to navigate the world the way you have and now be in a position where you are able to help others. Um, It's very inspiring. And uh, I just really appreciate you coming on and talking about this. Of course. Thank you so much. Okay. I don't know if you're active on social media. Uh, I know you, we we chatted on Twitter, but if you have some sort of platform or, you know, it's your, it's your time to plug whatever you'd like to plug, whether it's your personal profiles or other resources that you think are important. Uh, the floor is yours. Really. I just have um, just my Instagram and my Twitter. I haven't had a chance to really hit home hard on the activism stuff. Mostly it's just doing small things for some small groups and stuff like that. But um, both of them are just Riles underscore McEntee as I go through school and hopefully get into law school and stuff like that. I'd like to do more, really push more, but yeah. One thing at a time, it's <laughs> the thing with activism, right? It's like, you still got to take care of yourself before you take care of other people. And we often forget that like most people are not full-time activists. We, you, you have school, you have like the, again, dating lives, relationships, family, just normal shit that mm-hmm. the activism is often just a thing we do because we want to, but a lot of times we're kind of forced into it uh, in some cases, right? So always important for people to remember no matter what the subject is. So again, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.